0: Today on The Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt, a cautionary message on our accountability to the truth. The
1: greater the amount of truth that I was privileged to be exposed to, the greater the accountability for what we do with it spiritually. And the greater the accountability, the more miserable the punishment. Did we hear, believe, and follow Jesus? Or did we hear, reject, and go our own way?
0: Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt. I'm Tim Svoboda. The Bible says that salvation is granted to those who openly confess the Lord Jesus and believe that God raised him from the dead. But what about people who've never had the chance to hear the gospel? Today on The Journey, Pastor Steve shares a lesson on spiritual accountability from the Upper Room series. You can access today's lesson and the entire series online at thejourney.fm. Here's Pastor Steve with a message called, More Light, More Liability.
1: Our text before us today in our series in the Upper Room provides us an opportunity to address a question that many Christians have quietly in their hearts, and I know this because I have been a part of various Q&A forums where uh, people could write out questions anonymously and submit them, and oftentimes this question is asked, and it comes in various forms, but it sounds something like this. What happens to the aborigines who never heard the gospel? Or what what about the Eskimos who never had an opportunity to have knowledge of the gospel? And the question is, are they still accountable to God? Are they still under his judgment? And how does that exactly work? And this is a very valid question, and one that our text brings up for us today. And what we're going to see is that in the teaching of the Bible and in the eyes of God, there is far greater accountability to God for somebody who had the privilege of hearing the gospel of Jesus and rejects it than for that aborigine in 1425, who never had the chance to hear the gospel. Now, how that works out is part of the challenge uh, that I have before me to try to explain this, but I think that you're going to get it, and I trust that it will reinforce to you that God is fair, that God is fair. He is a fair judge. But this isn't to say this isn't a challenging puzzle, and so hopefully I have everybody's attention, and maybe you've never thought of this, but I know many of you have and were afraid to ask. So let's get into it today, and uh, let's, as we do here at Bethel Church, let's start with the text of God's Word and see what it says and how it applies, uh, how it applies to this question. Now, a reminder of what we saw last week, that Jesus is preparing his disciples for the hatred of the world against them. And uh, he basically says, when, they, when you are being persecuted, when you sense that people hate you or don't like you, uh, you need to realize that it's not really you that they are not liking or that they are hating. They are hating you because they hate me. And you are a reminder of me. And this enmity goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Somebody wisely pointed this out. I read that when God said to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, that from that moment on, God was saying, there's going to be discord between these two fundamentally different groups. You have the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Satan and sin and death, and the kingdom of God and life and, and eternal life. And the people who are aligned with uh, the darkness are not going to like the light. They are going to indeed hate it because the light exposes the sins of sinners. God's moral purity exposes us for who we actually are before a holy God. And so... Uh, Darkness does not like the light, and Jesus is the light of the world. And because he represents that glorious illumination, those that are aligned with darkness will not like Jesus or anybody who reflects the light of Jesus. Did everybody love Jesus the first time he came? Again, we kind of sort of think to ourselves, if only Jesus came back, man, the whole world would love him. No, the, the whole world didn't like him the first time he came. In fact, you remember they killed him. Okay, They killed him. That's what darkness does to light. And so we pick it up now in verse 22, and here is what, uh, here is what Jesus continues now to say. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be, have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the, world, the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. And uh, if you just glance ahead there, you'll see that he goes on to talk about persecution. Uh, in, and he says, they're going to put you out of the synagogue and they're going to think they're doing it as an act of worship to God. That's how misled they are. We think of Paul, for example, who persecuted the church and was doing it out of a religious zeal. He thought he was serving God by arresting the Christians. And then Jesus appears to him and says, why are you persecuting me? And we see the alignment between Jesus and his people that hatred and persecution of Jesus is actually hatred and persecution of Christ. And you see that same thing that he said before, that they hate you, they hate me. We're in this together. Now our focus today is on the end of chapter 15. And if I maybe didn't catch it the first time I read it, but Jesus says that there are two aspects of his ministry that increases the guilt and the accountability for those who heard what he said and saw what he did. And those two things are what he spoke, verse 22, and what he did, the works that no one else did, verse 24. In other words, miracles. So Jesus says, because you heard what I said and you saw what I did to reject me, they are, quote, guilty of sin. Okay, so we see in this that to personally hear the very words of Jesus audibly and with your own eyes to see the miracles of Jesus it heightens the responsibility to reject him. Now, what is this saying? Okay, What this is saying is this, is that the greater the light, this is the title of my sermon, the more the light, the more the liability. The more the light, the more the liability. Now, by light here, I mean exposure to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more that I hear, the more that I know and understand the greater the guilt, then, for rejecting the light of Jesus. Now, he highlights two things here, and the first is what he said. And we know that Jesus was a teacher. They called him rabbi. They called him teacher, greatest teacher to ever walk uh, the earth. And to realize that what we have recorded in the gospel is only a fraction of the teachings of Jesus. I mean, he taught everywhere he went. We have some of it recorded, but not all of it. Those that walked with Jesus and even the Pharisees who hung around to uh, criticize him were personally hearing the audible revelation of the Son of God. Some received it, some did not. Similarly, to be in the room where it happened or to be in the field where it happened and to see with your own eyes the blind person now seeing and the deaf person now hearing and the storm being silenced and the, 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 the bread being multiplied and the dead in the grave coming out alive to personally see those kinds of displays of the power of God and then to reject it heightens the accountability and it heightens the guilt before God. Now you might be thinking to yourself, who cares? Like, if, if, if you go to hell, you're going to hell. And it's just all the same. And in some respects, that is true because there are no pleasant places in hell, okay? There's no, like, uh, break room or something where you can uh, get away or whatever. It's, it's no doubt, all of it, divine judgment, All of it is completely absent the goodness and the beauty of God, which means that hell is absent of everything that you like about this world. There is none of that in hell. There is nothing beautiful. There is no love. There is no friendship. There is no companionship. There is no pleasure you know, this sort of thought out there, well, if, if my buddies are going there, I want to go there too. You're not going to see them there, okay? You're not going to see them there. There is nothing that reflects the goodness of God in hell. And everything that reflects the goodness of God in this world is what we love in this world. There's none of that in the next one. There is no good day. There is nothing to hope or to look forward to it will never improve, it will never diminish. And so we must say with great soberness in our heart that hell is hell. So from that perspective, who cares if in this life you sin to the maximum? Because in the end, it's all the same. Or you might look at that and say, hey, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. We might as well derive out of this world every possible hedonic pleasure that we possibly can, uh, knowing that someday we won't have it, but at least we can enjoy it for now. This is my little window of fun before eternal misery. And I don't know anybody who thinks that way, but I'm just surmising that you could come to that conclusion. And that would be a terribly misguided perspective. And why is that the case? The reason for that, and this is something I think many Christians Um, don't, don't realize is, and certainly unbelievers don't realize, is that the Bible teaches that there are degrees of punishment in hell. Now, that might be a new thing you've never heard of before, but there are degrees of punishment in hell. Now, when I say that, this isn't levels of hell like Dante's Inferno, and this is not purgatory, as some ancient churches still erroneously teach. It is simply this. That God is fair. God is fair. And God judges and punishes on a curve. Are you familiar with that concept of on a curve? Okay, He grades on a curve. Now this is something that the ancient schools that I attended would practice. (laughs) Typically when the entire class bombs the test, they throw out the old, if you got 90% of the questions right, you get an A. You get 80% of the questions right, you get a B. That goes out the window because, you know, everybody bombed it. And so they grade on a curve and the, you know, the top three or four students get an A and then the next ones get a B and the next ones get a C. That's, that's called grading on a curve. Now, please hear me. I hesitate to even use this illustration because I am not saying that God grades compared to how bad other sinners are. Please hear me. That is not the point of this. Everybody hearing and understanding what I'm saying, would you please say no right now? Okay, good, because I'm concerned that somebody would you know, hear it differently. Here's what I am saying, that God evaluates and punishes in hell by proration. by by curve. And he doesn't compare us to other sinners. The grade is based upon how much light of revelation we received in this life and therefore how much we rejected. And those that had nothing or very little, everybody has some, I'll get to that in a moment. The Bible says that there would be less punishment, still hell. But those that know and understand and hear and still reject is the greatest greatest accountability and responsibility. Did we hear, believe, and follow Jesus? Or did we hear, reject, and go our own way? Okay, so again, the greater the amount of truth that that, that I was privileged to be exposed to, The greater the accountability for what we do with it spiritually. And the greater the accountability, the more miserable the punishment. Now, you're like, okay, Pastor Steve, I need some convincing here. Let me give you some verses, other verses that talk about this. I'll roll through these. Here's Luke 12. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom, here's a key statement, every one to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Here is Jesus in Matthew 11 dealing with the hard-heartedness of the Jewish people at that time. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon. Okay, these were famously wicked cities. It'll be better for the people of those cities than the cities to whom the Son of God came and rejected me. Similarly, Matthew 11. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom. Now, what is Sodom known for? You know Okay, We're talking about the most famous sexually immoral city in antiquity. And Jesus is saying it would be better to be involved in all of the immorality of Sodom than for you to whom the Son of God has come, and yet you've rejected me. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. You mean it would be better to live in San Francisco and to live according to the lifestyle that city is famous for and do that your entire life than to grow up in Sunday school, to know the gospel, and to be a moral person but never believe and follow Jesus? That's what he's saying. The curve here is not, well, isn't primarily, the morality of your life. It is the privilege, the light that God brought to you of the gospel and what you did with it. That is the measure. The more the light, the more the liability. The more you are privileged to see and to hear, the greater your accountability This is how, for example, and here's another question you oftentimes get, what's the unpardonable sin? Because Jesus talks about a sin that will not be forgiven. And what is the unpardonable sin? It was something unique to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who personally observed the Son of God on earth speaking uh, divine revelation and doing divine miracles and attributing all of that to the work of Satan. That, Jesus says, is unpardonable. Now, why is that unpardonable? It is unpardonable because to take the light and to claim it to be darkness, the greatest light of all, Jesus, and attributed to the greatest darkness of all, Satan, reveals a heart that is so resolved to not believe it will never be forgiven. It can't be forgiven. It is irredeemable. It is set in its unbelief. Now, I personally doubt very much it's even possible to commit the unpardonable sin today because Jesus isn't physically here, but that's what I think about that. Now, let's get into the question I posed at the beginning here, which is, well, what about the person who never had access to uh, the light of the gospel? Like, how does this play into that question? And it relates to another one that I just delicately walk into, which is, what about Babies or young children who tragically die. And I, I, I walk into this because I know this is such a very tender question. And no doubt here in the room, we have beloved of us who have suffered through miscarriage or perhaps a tragedy involving small children. What happens to them? And I just want you to know, I'm so glad I can stand in front of you or in the counseling room to say to you, I believe with all my heart for them, it's heaven, okay? It's heaven. But it relates to the thing that we're talking about in terms of the why of that. And the answer to that is not because they are not born as sinners or conceived as sinners, because we are all sinners by nature and by choice. We are not righteous uh, in conception, no. But a young child and I would even include in this, by the way, uh, adults who have severe mental uh, development issues. I would answer similarly for this. But children cannot spiritually appropriate divine revelation, either from creation or shouting the gospel at them. They cannot understand it. They cannot appropriate that. They cannot discern spiritual truth. But where does this awareness come from? And the Bible says that one of the powerful means of our awareness is the created world around us, okay? That creation, the Bible says, is sufficient light of who God is that we are all accountable to God. This is Romans 1. And here's the conclusion, so they are without excuse. Now think of this, that God has so created the world and so wired us as human beings that the creation communicates to image bearers what our creator is like and an ability for us to discern spiritual truth from the created world around us. We know the heavens declare the glory of God. Isaiah six, the whole earth is full of his glory. And theologians call creation general revelation. And it's general because it's just like, it's like a uh, revelation in mass, okay? The whole thing is telling us what God is like and all humanity experiences that.
0: You're listening to The Journey with Steve DeWitt and a message titled, More Light, More Liability. We're a little bit past the halfway point in our series called The Upper Room. But if you're just tuning in, you can access the complete series at thejourney.fm. Well, in a world filled with uncertainties, the assurance that God unveils his glory throughout the earth brings us comfort. The beauty of nature, the intricacies of creation, and the harmonious order of the universe all serve as a testament to His majesty and goodness. In this way, the boundless grace of God extends to all, inviting us to acknowledge His presence and respond to His call of salvation. But as Christians, there still remains a vital role for actively sharing the message of Christ. That's why here on The Journey, we're committed to spreading the gospel to men and women across the country each day. As a listener-supported ministry, we rely in part on your assistance to sustain our efforts. Your financial contribution plays a crucial role in keeping this Bible teaching program on the radio and web, reaching listeners with the timeless truths of God's Word. Would you consider giving today to support our mission? You can call us at 844 7 Journey. That's 844 756 8763. Or conveniently give online at thejourney.fm. And as a thank you for your generous gift, we'll send you. The Upper Room. It's written by best-selling author, John MacArthur. This remarkable book offers a biblical exploration of the last words spoken by our Lord during His final moments with His disciples. This book will help readers find solace and strength, embracing the truth of God's Word and the comfort of His presence in our fallen world. You can request your copy of The Upper Room by calling 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844 756 8763 or visit thejourney.fm. I'm Tim Svoboda. Be sure to come back tomorrow for the conclusion of today's message. We're learning more about how exposure to light increases our liability. That's Thursday on The Journey with Steve DeWitt. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.